the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If you're honest with yourself, just how far does your love for the body of Christ go? What does it actually look like? Better yet, what should it look like? We'll explore the answer to those questions next on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Join us. Twenty different people what love should look like, and you will probably get 20 different answers. Well, today on Abounding Grace, we will take a look at the answer that really counts, the one that God provides for us. And it's found here in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we continue our look at Romans, we find ourselves in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Christ's love in the body. That's right, the love that we have for one another is generated, given, and sustained by Jesus himself. So what should this love look like? Probably a lot different than what we're used to or what we think it should look like. Join us. Here's Pastor Gary on today's Abounding Grace. Verses 6 through 8 of this chapter are concerned with Christ and his gifts. And verses 9 through 21 are concerned with Christ and his love and how that love comes to be expressed in the body or in the church. Now, when we speak of the love of Christ, we need to distinguish his love very clearly from the things that are called love in this world. For when the world loves, according to 1 Corinthians 13.5, it seeks its own. The world's loves always have strings attached. They may be light, airy, gossamer strings. They may be heavy, iron chains. But when the world loves, it expects a return. This is one reason that we're surprised to find that the world's loves are so quickly exhausted and must be continually and artificially refreshed. Real quickly, your best friend can become your worst enemy because of a little whispering. We say, I do on the wedding day, but how many live a life of, I won't? That is because the world doesn't know how to love. It croons about love. And if you have a stomach for it, listen to today's music. And so much of it is just pure pornography. But it is love, 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 me, me, me. It craves love and believes it can love still, and someone somewhere will teach us. But no, the world can't love. It cannot. It will not. As long as there is any thought of love on my terms and love for me, love me for me, then there's no real authentic love or a favorite in our day, unconditional love. That is not love. There is hate, selfishness, and demanding spirit that 
would shake its fist in God's face. And that's why we many find I can't deal with this selfishness in my heart. I can't deal with this craving. And they finally just give up trying. And fantasy becomes preferable to fight. Just Let's just set up an altar and worship. But worship what? Worship self under the guise of romance. But it's all about worshiping me. There's only one person who can recover us to true love, and that is, of course, the God of love. And he defined love for us by sending his son. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 is perhaps one of Scripture's best definitions of what love is in a single place. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. That, my friends, is love. The love of Christ is his total self-emptying for the salvation of sinners who have no claim on his love. We have none. We could not move him to love us, and we should have perished in hell forever. But instead, he laid down his life for us and took our hell upon himself on the tree. That is true love. Loving the Father, he laid down his life and sealed the everlasting covenant and bore the justice of God. Loving us, he drained the cup of the wrath of God that would have been ours so that we can have the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So Christ's love is divine, obedient, self-emptying, and by this he became our substitute, our penal substitute, or our propitiatory sacrifice. When Jesus loves us, we might say that he loves us into loving. Because when Jesus loves us, he changes us so that we then have an ability to love that we did not have before. So when Paul turns here in verses 9 through 21 to the love that we are to have for one another, please understand that love flows from the same fountain as the spiritual gifts we talked about last two weeks. It flows from Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one who has walked on this earth who has ever truly loved. Anyone who has loved, is be- it's because of the sacrificial work of Christ. And the only people who ever loved are his children. The only ones. Because he is the only one who can break the rebellion, the pride, the selfishness of our hearts and enable us just a smidge to pour out our lives For one another. The Lord Jesus loved us in life. It says in John 13, 1, a verse you can really hang on to in your darkest hour. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And what was that end? He laid down his life for us and bore the wrath of God. But he didn't stop loving us there, did he? He rose from the dead, and now he loves us in glory, praying for us, ruling over us, and defending us, and encouraging us to hold fast to the narrow way. So in every way as believers, we are surrounded and secured by the deep, deep love of Jesus. 
So when we read in these verses that we should be affectionate to each other, that we should give to the needy, that we should show hospitality, please remember, this is not a set of moral duties that we can just check off our list. These are things that lead us right back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because how many of us, even if we started out well, eventually start counting the cost of serving others? Instead, my friends, we must count the cost that the Son of God paid for us on the cross. We must look unto Jesus all the time and lovingly meditate, prayerfully meditate, be humbled by his sacrifice so that our pride can be broken and we can truly pour out ourselves then for one another. Others, as you know, will treat us badly. This passage of scripture calls us to smile when other people frown at us. To give a kind word when others give a cross word. How can we do this? Because love laid down his life for us on the cross. And when we know him, love triumphs over our selfishness and our weaknesses over time. Oh, it's progressive. But it triumphs over us so we can love one another. So don't look at this list and say, well, I, I can't do this. I, I can't really show hospitality. I don't have anything to give. My heart, my house is just not nice enough. And you know what? I, I don't think I've cried with any other Christian before. And I'm not sure I've ever rejoiced with any other Christian. In fact, I think the last time I ever remember someone saying something God had done for them, the thought in my heart was... Not joy. It was, well, he doesn't do that for me. These are some of the ways we could perhaps respond to these verses. And then we would become guilty and we would probably run away from them. Because whatever we hear of love and doing and serving one another within the body, our first thought is to turn inward. But love must never make us turn inward. Because love is not there. It's not here, beloved. Unlike Whitney Houston, who, came, who one time sang, the greatest love of all is the love within yourself. It's no wonder she never found it. It's no wonder she left the church as many vixens do when they wind up singing for the public. It's no wonder she wound up with drugs, the bottle, abusive relationships. It's no wonder because she heard about the love of God in Christ, but instead... She turned to the love of self in Whitney, and it ruined her. Do not look within, beloved. You won't find any love there, because the love, like the gifts, are not our personality. Well, but I'm just a more loving person. No, you're not. We may have different personality types. You may be friendlier. But love is not taking what is basically good about me and just turning it to the church. Love is the Lord of love coming into our lives and breaking our selfishness and our pride and humbling us so that we can begin to love him. And in loving him, we draw from him love for then one another. You know, the Bible says in Hosea 6.4 that our goodness is like the morning dew. It just goes away. Wow, the grass is wet. An hour later, 
the grass is dry. That is what our love is like. Unless Jesus continually renews it in us by his Holy Spirit. And that's one reason Paul in Ephesians 3 encouraged those believers in their prayers. And I wonder if we are praying for this. For in the middle of a prayer that begins in verse 16, Paul asked that God would grant us to be strengthened. And in verse 17, that Christ would dwell in us, that he would, we would be rooted and grounded in love. Why? Verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, depth, and height. Comprehend what? To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Jesus will teach us to love. His love in us as we comprehend it, as we are humbled by it, as we think about it, and as it moves us, as it shapes and reshapes our expectations, it will help us to love one another because his love changes sinners. Turning to verse 9 of Romans 12, he says, Let love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy. Let love be sincere. You know, there was no pretending to Jesus' love when he died on the cross. Many liberal theologians have said that the cross was basically a pretending because the only reason Jesus died was to make a theological point about how much God hates sin, but it wasn't a substitution. No, God forbid. It wasn't a propitiation. It wasn't atonement. Oh, no, because that means that we would have to accept the rest of what the Bible teaches, and we don't want to do that. Nor was it just a moral example that our hearts are so moved that when we think of Jesus dying on the cross, we just simply love others. No, it is all his death on the cross was. If that was all it was, he could never have taken that sort of justice, which he knew because he was the just one. He could have never taken that sword into his own breast unless this was all real. He loved his father. God's word was in his heart. He delighted to do the will of the father. And so he laid down his life on that altar as a burnt offering and let the sword of divine justice pierce him through. He also loved us. And having loved his own, he loved us to the end. There's no pretending with the love of Christ. There's no show, and, it, and he is not trying to manipulate you into loving by giving you a sentimental story or a fairy tale. So this is the way we are supposed to be. The same way Christ loved, we are to love one another with truth, without hypocrisy, no Judas kisses. Judas betrayeth thou the Son of Man with a kiss. You remember? Hypocrisy is saying, Luke 6, 16, Lord, but not doing what Jesus tells us to do. That is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when a husband says to his wife, I love you, but his pockets are full of the idols of lust. That's hypocrisy. It's not true. It's deceit. The love of God for us, the love of Christ for us, and therefore our love for one another should be without masks. No masks. It should be open and transparent. 
It should not be manipulative. Why? One reason, and this is true of every believer, because we've stood before the cross and we've seen Jesus crucified for us. It's not so much the wounds he suffered, because other people have had wounds and have died horrible deaths. So it's not that. It's that when we look at the cross and we remember why he was doing this, each one of us asks himself, how could he love like this? And even a deeper question, why should he love me like this? Why would he lay down his life and bear that wrath, that pain, the sorrows of hell and the pangs of death? Why would he take the sword that justly I deserve? No one in hell will ever be able to complain. Why would he take that sword for me? So we beat our breasts like the centurion. But we're also changed when we see that love by faith because the mask is gone. I'm open, I'm naked before the God of love and crucified, who crucified his only son for me. And I confess now my selfishness. Lord, I am a wretch. I am selfish. A lot of times my love is really just inverted love for myself, most of the time, perhaps all of the time, unless Christ comes and helps me. So when we come to the cross, we confess our selfishness. And we don't scream and shout for people to love us on our terms. We want to know true love, gospel love, the love of God in Christ. So when the mask comes off, look at the second half of verse 9. We hate evil. This is a very dynamic shift of thought. Let love be without hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Love and hate in the same passage. You see, what we are hating here is our own fakeness. That's the context. We're hating our masquerades at love. We don't want to give any more Judas kisses to our brothers and sisters. Hey, love you. How you doing, brother? But all the while in the car, I've been telling my wife, can you believe what he said? Can you believe she wore that? No. We don't want to keep any accounts of what we have done for each other, for our husbands or for our wives. Well, you know, I did this for you two months ago. Love doesn't think like that. Why? Because Jesus doesn't think like that. What if Jesus looked ahead and said, well, what am I going to get out of all of this pain and agony? The answer would be, well, from us, nothing. He would get praise, but he would have to put that praise in there. He'd get our love, but he'll have to put it there by our union and our communion with him, which is all of him. You see, when we, are, when we see something of God's love for us in Christ, the thought of loving someone for a return makes us nauseous. It is repulsive to us because we know what that is if I love by demand. You better love me unconditionally. You better love me on my terms. You better love me the way I want you to love me or I'm going to walk around all day with a scowl. We know that is erecting an idol and tearing down the cross and we can't do that anymore as Christians. We should only want to cling 
to that old rugged cross where the living God gave his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if that means we've got to confess our sins, we've got to confess our hypocrisy, our judgmentalism, so be it. If it means that we have to wash dishes for a month, husbands, so our wives can have a break, so be it. I'm not even going to remember that I said just a month. I just may be, it may be my permanent gift. If it means we have people over, even if they don't have us over, so be it. If it means as a husband that I need to forgo the marital rights that I have in my spouse for a period of time so that I can love her differently, so be it. Wife, if it means you need to open up yourself and love in this way because he needs it, so be it. Because there's one love that defines the love that we are to have for one another, and that is the love of God in Christ revealed at the cross. Now, it's a bit shocking, I must admit, to see how closely love and hate are mentioned here. And by the way, the word abhor here, or however your translation reads, it means to strongly detest. It's a very strong word. But the Holy Spirit regularly joins these two ideas together, love and hate. And let's just look at a few places. Psalm 97.10, the psalmist says, You that love the Lord hate evil. It's as if he's saying, if you don't hate evil, you don't love the Lord. Now granted, none of us are yet completed, so this is a progressive thing. But where love for the Lord is present, there will be a hatred of sin and a desire to turn from it and to repent and pursue good. Psalm 119, 113, David says, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. There it is again, hatred and love. Down further in that psalm, verse 163, I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. There are other passages I could refer to, but let me simply make this point here. Love pulls back from evil with abhorrence. That is what Paul means there in verse 9. We see this, by the way, in the Lord Jesus very clearly. We see it in many, so many ways it's impossible to say, well, here's the example. So I'm just going to pick one. Peter has confessed, you're the Christ the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, okay, since you have come to the point of confession, let me tell you a little bit more about why I've come. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of wicked men and be crucified, die and be bruised. And Peter, the great confessor, said, far be it from you, Lord. Jesus then turned around and looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. So on the one hand, Jesus is loving and receiving the love of his disciples. But on the other hand, he calls out Peter. He didn't call Peter Satan here, really. If he had, it would have been Peter's doom. But he saw behind Peter's misplaced tenderness, misplaced, I can't believe you're going to do this, and saw Satan's insinuations and temptations. So again, we see in the Lord Jesus Christ that when we are set on obeying God, God's will and loving God, obstacles and deceptions become abhorrent to us. 
We hate everything that gets in the way with our commitment. So we can't love God and we can't love one another unless we abhor evil, unless we hate it. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.